welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature audio from Brothers of the Brush with Chris Kerfin. In this episode, Chris sits down with Richard Stone of Stone Contracts, based down in London. They chat about terrible personal injuries, lazy company reps, pricing and marketing with drones, and changing business mindset, where Richard coins a brilliant term, skill set without mindset causes upset. This episode is brought to you by Fresh Coat, Paint Care, Rust-Oleum Brands, and Nice Job. Welcome to this episode of the Brothers of the Brush podcast, a podcast by decorators for decorators with me, your host, Chris Kerfoot. So on this week's episode, we have Richard Stone of Stone Contracts based down in London. A bit different this one. Uh, Richard is also an SME coach and mentor to businesses. How are we doing, Rich? All right. Good, thanks. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, Look brilliant. To a good conversation. Yeah, is it, is it Rich or Richard? Don't mind either. Yeah. <laughs> Gold a lot worse. Well, we well, my brother's rich, my brother-in-law's rich, and we have a good friend called Rich, but he's been called Dick's in school, and he fucking hates it. <laughs> but, uh, we call him Dick when we're talking about him, but Rich to his face, but it ain't because he's a dick, it's just obviously a shorter version. Yeah. God knows why that's a shorter version of Rich, I don't know, but anyway. No idea. <laughs> it's just it's, it's been around so long, it's just stuck, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, who's in the Stone household? So we've got my wife, Gemma, who works in the business part-time and is also an upholsterer um, and does leather work. And we've got three children. I've got a son who lives with my ex-wife and we've got two children, Ruby and Charlie. So Oliver is 16 and lives with my ex-wife. Ruby is 11, just gone, and Charlie's 14. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I could do with a bloody leather upholstery because my sofa's getting an hole in it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to buy a new sofa. I want it recovered because it's that comfy. And I think if I can pay less and have it recovered and get another 10 years out of it, it's hard, hard work finding a comfy sofa, I think. Yeah, it is. And then the modern ones are awful. They're all um, like cheap, fast-growing wood, and a lot of them are actually cardboard. They're not. There's not actually any timber in them at all. Yeah. I've had man. I was twelve years old. I've had it to bits one, had it to bits once, and read up foam mm. on it. Uh, but I just, I just don't. I'd gladly pay seven hundred quid to have a, it recovered on bottom because mm. it was three and a half grand. I says, and if we get another ten years out of it for seven hundred quid, because the problem is going way off tangent here. Because I'm a bit taller and Donna's short. If the back's not high enough, my head goes back, and if mm-hmm. the bo- bottom comes out too far, Donna can't bend her legs. Donna can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we, we found this one that's spot on, and like I said, well, it's about twelve years old. So it's as old as my mm. daughter, you know. And we, I just says I don't. I'd love a cloth one, but I just think with kids and drinks, yeah, stick to leather. So yeah. <laughs> back on track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I love a good podcast conversation. You never know where it's going to go. Well, it's been music and all sorts on these dogs and a lot. Um, story in business, how did you start? How did I start? Wow, I had my first job at eight years old delivering milk. Um, I got a paper round a couple of months after that. I worked in a pub from the age of 11. Um, started bottling up, then ended up in the kitchen a few months later. Um, and then bizarrely ended up behind the bar because I was six foot tall at 13 years old. Yeah. So they were busy, busy one night and I ended up behind the bar. And to be honest, I just got a real buzz for earning money. Yeah. And to be able to pay my own way. So I wanted to save up and get a stacker system because that was the thing. <laughs> oh, I yeah. desperately wanted a stacker system. So, and to be able to go out and earn my own money. And, and also, so I was born in, but to give you a little bit of my history, which will explain my answer more. So I was born in Birmingham and I left there when I was eight because my dad changed jobs and we moved to Bristol. So we went from talking like that yeah. to being carrot crunchers. And I got really horrifically bullied. Yeah. Um, because the school system at different parts of the country is at different stages. So when you when I went from Birmingham to Bristol, I was actually academically ahead. Yeah. Um, and then bizarrely, when we moved to Buckinghamshire seven years later, I was actually I'd gone backwards. Um, I think part of that was I wasn't actually at school very much. But because I was quite badly bullied, when I actually got a job in the pub and I, I was seen as one of the team to be sort of contributing and working hard, I kind of sort of thought, well. If I work hard and get valued, that's I'm seen as like I'm not bullied in this environment. Yeah. So I just absolutely loved work because I was I was getting paid, so I could save money to buy the bits that I wanted, and I got like all the records out of the jukebox. I could have a cheeky beer at the weekend and a crafty bag, <laughs> and did I was you have earning to buy money. A plastic insert for records as well. <laughs> yeah, I did yeah, the little round disc. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, it was kind of about. It was being in an environment where I was I was treated as an equal and I wasn't bullied. Yeah. So um I was and I first kind of got into construction. I mean, my dad did an extension when we were five and I dug the footings with him and I've still got pictures of it to this day. And that that was when my love for being in the building industry came from, really. Um and then when I worked in the pub, the landlord's son was a landscaper and I used to go out of a weekend and like load out turf rolls. Um and his other brother was a scaffolder and I used to go out and labour for them. Um so I was in and around the sort of the industry from a really, really young age. And I just loved the banter, the camaraderie, the teamwork, the kind of the banter between the different trades, everybody slagging off the sparky and yeah. like <laughs> all the different sort of trade crack. And that's what got me into it, really. Um, and then I went on the tools when I was 16 for probably about five or six years working, putting up fencing as a subby, like a labour-only fencing subcontractor. Um and then my my ex-wife, one of her friends, her husband was a QS. Um, and I had a conversation with him one night over a beer and he was like, look at the state of you, you, you're back, you're hunched over. You can't do this like for 20, 30 years. You're going to be like a mess. And it's quite obvious from the way that you approach pricing your jobs and the way that you try and think about doing stuff like leanly and efficiently. And I didn't even know what lean meant. I thought it was just like a word that they attached to meat when you bought it from the butchers. I didn't even know what lean thinking was. Yeah. Um, and he said to me, you ought to just like do, do a bit of college. So I'd done, I'd done my first college, my building studies. And then when I'd done that, he said to me, well, you can't waste it. You kind of need to do something with it. So I just applied for a job as a site manager because the geezer that I was subbing work off of used to build like one or two houses a year. And sometimes I'd have to step in and run his sites for him. 
and like organise and juggle the trades and like sort out prices and stuff with them. And I was kind of like sort of shooting in the dark. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I kind of picked up as I went along. I got offered a job as a training site manager for a big external decorating contractor called CH Kenyon. Um, did a couple of big job, big big blocks in central London for Bedford Bedford um, Estates um, and some big housing associations. Um, they went really well. We made good money. The quality was great. We got loads of repeat business. Um, and they just sort of promoted me. And sort of, they just saw something in me and said, look, do you want to become a contracts manager over a couple of years? So did that, did more training, and then eventually I ended up being a director. And then we looked, we were going to do a management buyout. That failed, so I left um, and went off and did consulting for four or five years, working for different businesses, doing uh, due diligence, so working with a forensic accountant, looking at companies that were either being prepared for sale or somebody had just bought, and actually sort of analysing had was was the business that the people bought what they thought they yeah. bought was it behind a 200 grand business or an hundred grand business in behind a 200 grand cape <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah and and it's it's always quite interesting because a lot of these deals are actually done for a pound and it's it's really scary some of the people out there that say well i've bought this million dollar business and i've only paid a pound for it what a result i've had to touch it and you go, yeah, but you do realise the firm's skint and it owes us like three quarters of a million quid and you've just bought the business, not the assets. Bought the debt. So you're, <laughs> you're now liable for that. And they're like, oh, hold on a minute. So I did that for a while. And then the company asked me to go back and the chairman wanted to look, wanted to retire and go into politics. Um, so I went back and they'd got a load of projects that they were um, what you might call distressed, i.e. they'd fucked them up. Yeah. Um, and they were in a world of shit on some jobs. And they've got a load of jobs that they've won, but they didn't have the resources to get them set up and build the client relationships past tender stage. Um, so I went back and I was there for about two and a half, three years. Um, and we were literally days away from signing to actually buy the company. Um, and we were doing our house up. Me and Gemma had just moved, not probably nine months before that. And we'd moved and done that typical thing that contractors do. We were on holiday. The day we came out from holiday, we had the kitchen ripped out. And two days after that, we started a loft conversion. So we did the whole house up over the course of six months. And the last bit was getting some floor, floor, flooring laid. And I pushed a box of Candine floor tiles forward. I didn't even pick them up. I just pushed this box of floor tiles forward. And my bicep tore off and my arm, literally. You know, I don't know if you can see that scar that goes all the way down there. Yeah. Literally, it was like my whole bicep just tore off at the elbow. And my arm just dislocated and went backwards 90 degrees, or like 180 Ooh. degrees the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so I had to have an operation which was six hours, which ended, went a bit wrong and ended up being nine hours. Um, and for three months, I had to work from home, um, sorting out all the estimating, the valuations and stuff. Um, and after three months, um, I was due to get paid in the January, my wages for the month. And two days before payday, I got a letter saying, we won't be paying you. Yeah. And I was really, really pissed off. So I was like, right. So I had a conversation with Gemma. Um, a mate of mine had got a company. So I went and did some stuff for him for a little while, helped him out for a little while. Um, and then we set up the business um, two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So, so would you say that's your your worst point? Obviously, tearing your bicep and them turning around and saying, see ya. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's been there's been points... I mean, I, one of the companies that I did due diligence on, I ended up being MDL for a while um, and helping them out grow. Um, and when Svenska Handels Banker, in the Icelandic banking crash in 2009, yeah. um, 
we spent, we poured so much life energy into sort of resurrecting and, and repackaging these businesses and getting them to the point where they were profitable. And then all of a sudden, the bank just decided they didn't want to work in construction anymore. But over the course of a week, they pulled the facility across this group of businesses. Um, that, I think, ultimately would be my lowest point. Yeah. Um, but coming in a pretty close second would be when I tore my tore my bicep off and all the stuff that went with that because that was just like three months of just utter pain and torture. Yeah. It was... I, I mean, I remember the recession. I mean, last one, I remember being week to week, some weeks. Mm. You know, it, it was pretty poor up here, but our class is a poor area where we are. Mm. You know, but do you think I had this discussion the other day with the old, I don't like talking much about COVID on podcasts because I don't want to get doom and gloom. But do you think we're going to end up with a recession at some point? Do you think we're riding a wave? I think ultimately, I, I think it's inevitable. I mean, yeah. literally, I mean, I don't know when you're going to release this, but I mean, Richie Sooner, I mean, I don't listen you, to it. You're going to be about, I'd say, be about March, March, April. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I mean, they've said today that the bill currently is close to 400 billion in terms of the cost. It's going to be at least, I mean, we're now, what are we now? Middle of November. It's good. We've got another six months of this. I, I, I reckon we, we were talking the other day, I mean, me and my wife, we aren't academic. We're not world's cleverest. Uh, we're not, we don't follow politics, but I reckon we've got about another nine months for it. Yeah. Yeah, they've already moved goalposts a bit because it was March, and then the other day yeah. on his announcement, it says uh, we, we should start seeing some light at Easter. Well, Easter's yeah. in April, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> They're just so, going to move it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if you think it's 400, it's 400 billion at the moment, it's probably going to be at least double that. You've got to factor in the fact that a lot of these bounce-back loans and C-bills loans are going to get defaulted on. You're looking at close to a trillion-dollar bill. Well, yeah. actually... That is not sustainable. So I think ultimately we are going to end up in another recession. And, you know, people, I mean, certainly from our perspective, I mean, we had a million pounds worth of secured orders or close to 1.2 million pounds of secured orders at the start of lockdown. And within seven days, they all got cancelled, bar one. Yeah. I, I mean, like I say, I'm not academic, but I think it will. I mean, I'm not doom and gloom neither. Uh, but I think it will affect some of the bigger companies, probably unfortunately like yourselves, than it will a one-man band like me. I mean, don't get me wrong, my kids are going to be paying for this for years. You know, yeah, everybody's kids are going to be paying for it. I think that's going to go up for a start. I reckon that'll go yeah. up to 25% at some point. Mm. You know, and I reckon they'll start creeping other stuff up. But uh, I think it's the ones with like eight-plus employees, like yourself, where the bigger mm. contractors they're hanging on to money and they've pulled the contracts so we'll hang on and see what happens. You know, but f for me, I think it's mm. the ones, the privates and domestics that, oh, we're at home on furlough, ooh, holiday. And yeah. then what, what, what they've not realised is while they've been at home, they've, for one-to-one -one of your terms, their employers have been doing, doing two diligence, thought, well, for one, for one Janet we've got here, we can have five of them in India doing the same thing. Let's get rid of yeah. Janet and have five in India answering phone. Yeah, there's I mean, there's all sorts of stuff business. that comes out of that. I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and they've actually stripped. They work in a business where they've actually established that what they've done is looked at how all of their businesses communicate. Yeah, and what they've effectively established is that they could strip out two layers of management and have some pain now, but actually their business would be far leaner post that that exercise and actually would function 
actually a lot better because what's what's become apparent is that they're so far removed from the truth that the reality isn't exactly what they think it is. So if they strip out these layers of interim cut, cut middle management, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we, there's a lot of people that whilst that whilst they might currently be on furlough, their job is actually probably may actually not even exist. And it's not because the company is going to fold. It's because the company's actually looked at how they do business. Yeah, it's, it's, it's forced a lot to pivot, some for the worse, some for the bad. And somebody I know, that two people work at a company, and they've sort of said, oh, well, the job's at threat. So, of course, nobody wants to lose a job, so they step up and make more of an effort. And the, what they've thought of is, well, you two are making an effort, we can get rid of Mary that's part-time and save 25 grand a year. Yeah. Let's boot Mary out the door, save 25 grand straight away, and you two have stepped up doing a few more tasks and filled the gap because you're working mm. more efficiently. You know, because yeah. you're frightened to death you're going to lose your job. Mm. So yeah, I think there's lots of there's lots of different faces that this is going to take. There's people are communicating differently, people are working more efficiently. It's enabling, it's focusing people and actually getting people to think differently about how yeah. they actually do business as well. I mean, it's just stupid things. My local chippy, I, I live near award-winning chippy, and I'll, I rarely use it. We get a lot of holiday makers here because we're on coast. And you have to queue for half hour sometimes because it was that long, you know, before mm. COVID and everything. But since that, you can now ring up the same day. We rung up, we had fish and chips Sunday tea. Uh, we rung up at half ten in the morning, ordered it for half four, walk round, restaurant door, press bell, walk in, pay for it, it's done, ready, walk out. And I was talking to owner Jeff, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't use music because I can't be asked queuing. He says, well, we're thinking of doing this when it finishes because it's been mm. so brilliant. A lot of companies have worked out it works better. Yeah. You know, more people are using it because, you know, it's been a chance for some companies to step up and some are winning because they've stepped up. But I've had a phone call today with Bloody Mountain Warehouse and I am so sick shit of the excuses we're working from home. Mm. You've still got a telephone and computer. Yeah. 18 days for a refund. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I wow. was told, I was told, I think it was somewhat bought on seventh that the order didn't go through, but they took the money twice <laughs> for the same order. Wow. Uh, it were only bloody walking socks. <laughs> but it, it was like 50, because they took it twice, it was 50 quid. They told me it had been sorted out on eight. And then, oh, because we're working from home, we're short staffed. It's done on 13th. Then I was told 16th, it should be in my bank within five to seven days. It went in today. So, I put it on Twitter. They were like, oh, DMers, we'll sort it out. I said, no, staff are shit. Can't sort it out between them. They need training. I rung my bank, which is Starling. They sorted it out within two hours. Only straight back mm. to my bank. You know, and I just think some companies are crap. You know, yeah, just, yeah. I think a lot of companies are doing for For us, the paint companies, I mean, I've said it for a while, a lot of the reps are fucking lazy in, in, in the building industry in, in companies now. And I think even more so with COVID. They just can't be bothered because of social media. Everybody knows where they are and everybody goes to them. Yeah. You know, and they've just got, there's no loyalty with the reps and they've got lazy. They need to up the game. I think they do. I think they do. I think they do in a, in a lot. I don't think it's just paint necessarily. I think it's a lot of different products. Yeah. It's trying to get a straight answer or trying to get a specification out of something. Someone is, no, like, impossible. It's, it's, I mean, it's, we're, it's, we're tendering a job at the moment. 
um, for a really good surveyors that we, that we work with. And OK, it's a tender, so it's like it's one in three chance of winning. And I sent an inquiry to this roofing product company and said, we know it's your system on the roof. There's two ways that the client wants to approach work in this building. They either want to do about 400 repairs to it or they want to replace the roof system completely. Either way, it will be your system. Can we have your approved contract to this? It took two and a half weeks. Yeah. And then, all right, this could potentially be probably a £40,000 material order. It's like they can't be They'd be all over it. They can't. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying reps should come out to gear free biros and fleeces like they used two years ago, but it's like they've lost the art of proper networking. Mm. You know, because, like I said, we're guilty of it because our Facebook group, you can go on there. I'm thinking using this paint, where do I get it from? Boom, rep gets tagged, you just contact the rep. They don't make the effort. They wait for you to go to them now, and mm. they should be coming to us. You know, yeah. they really need to look at the way they're marketing, and I think that's why, personally, some paint companies are failing. You know, they've not done the footwork years ago, and they're failing mm. now. You know, with, we're touching base. Have you got any jobs coming yeah. up? <laughs> mm. In other words, do you want to order out? Yeah. <laughs> when I want exactly. to order, I'll come to you, because that's why you've played the game for the last five years. That's why I'm going to play it now. Mm. I mean, that's a market that's been massively disrupted in the last 10 years, isn't it? I mean, I, I remember doing stuff for like Grosvenor Estates, Crown Estate, all the big landed estates, and it, and it was like Dulux and that was it. And yeah. yet now you talk to people and they're, they're much more willing to listen about actually what, are, what other alternatives are out there. But the other alternatives need to step up the game and get the marketing right. Yeah. Yeah. If, if they get the marketing right, they can kill it because you've got the, you've got the big old faithfuls that they've not got poor products. It's just like I said, the other companies are out there and they've got products as good. It's just people aren't aware because the marketing's crap, whereas the big, the big hitters that have been there for years mm-hmm. know how to market it, you know, yeah. so they're leading the market. You know, if, mm-hmm. if there's a pivot anywhere, it could be a massive shake-up, but they, they need to know what they're doing and they don't, you know. Too busy telling us how to run our job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been trying to find a Ticurilla brochure in the, uh, in English with all the information in it. I can't find one anywhere. I've got one. Uh, I got I got a, a binder off my rep years ago. Did you? Yeah, it's under seat in my van, but it has common products in. Mm. Uh, but again, not knocking them. I've rung and had three different specs for the same job. Really? Different people, yeah. Anything. Two of them have failed. And I'm waiting for decisions on it. <laughs> Why it's failed? Mm. It's same spec on two different jobs, uh, and I've I've had after after it failed, I rung up, got one spec, rung and spoke to somebody else, and give me a total different spec. Like three specs, which one do you use? Yeah, yeah, it's not good when you've got spec failing, is it? Well, they all need to start singing from same hymn sheet for a start. <laughs> yeah, that'd be yeah, a good start. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> getting back into it, what's been your highest point then, if that was your worst point? What's been my highest point? Um, my highest point, I think, I would have said the first thing that came to mind was being director of two businesses before the age of 30, but I actually think the highest point is when I see our vans flying around and actually what our name stands for when I hear customers talk about us and they don't know I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. How many vans do you have on the road then? Only three. Yeah. It's not bad though. Yeah, it's all right. 
Yeah, my brother-in-law's just bought his. He's just bought his fourth. Another twenty-six grand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Though my favourite is the little Fiesta van that we bought second-hand. I love it. Yeah, he's just bought. Uh, it's like a pimped-up uh, transit custom. Oh, okay. You know the new ones. It, it, I can't wait. It says custom or for the cross grills, American style. Oh, uh, the American style ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's this transit. It's got like it comes. It's not the sport one, but it, I think it looks better. It doesn't look as the sport ones are a bit. You know, with stickers all over. Mm. But this is like a almost matte black alloys on it. All the bells and whistles. You know, I think it's a nice van. So now I had no because I ordered a Connect like last year, I think it was. And um, I rang Evans Halshaw and said, right, this is what I want. No, I emailed him and said, <clears throat> I want that van. I want the base model, but I want all these extras on it. And the guy the guy emailed me back and said, no, no, no. He said, that's not what you want. I said, sorry? I said, I know what I want. I want the base. What I don't want is to be like driving around in this big ostentatious van. I want a base yeah. model, but I want, it, I want it to have automatic. I want a 240 power socket in it. I want the cameras on it. I want the catch-up alarm on it. This is all the stuff I want on it. Do you know, it took me about seven goes to get them to actually say, okay, yeah. that's how much it'll be. And it was, it got to the point I was actually contemplating just saying, do you know what, forget it. I'll just yeah. go and get a transporter. Yeah. Oh, transporter's nice, but I'd just be frightened to death of going it mucky for what they cost. I know. Yeah, it's just, again, I just think, beautiful van. Yeah, I'd love one if I went the decorator. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, they do get trashed. Yeah, yeah. I think the the honest answer is that there's been there's been an awful lot of highs, there's been an awful lot of lows, and it's been probably twenty seven year journey that's been like literally an absolute roller coaster. But I love it. I love the yeah. industry. I love the like people say, yeah, but you don't actually build anything. I'm like, no, I don't. But I get to work on some absolutely amazing buildings, and there's nothing better than turning up to a shit-looking block, especially when it's 100% broad work on the outside. I mean, we did one in Barnet last year, and it was 100% white and painted masonry, and it was covered in latex paint, and these yeah. stacks were absolutely obliterated. We had to rebuild two of them. And when we finished it, and it looked absolutely amazing, we filmed yeah. it with a drone afterwards, and it looked... And when you get to actually stand back and go, yeah, do you know what? Yeah, we've done that. That, for Would me, you- that's, that's when I'm like, yes. Touching on that filming with drone, was that for marketing purposes? Yeah, so it was for, so we did, we did, we fit, every job that we price, we film from drone, if yeah. we can. Um, so, and there's two reasons for that. One, because it's a really good way to get before and after. Um, but I learned a very valuable lesson. When I went to Kenyans, well, I had to run this project where they were losing £200,000 because it's a building called Old Court Place on Kensington High Street in London. And it's got four sides to it, but one of the sides you can't see from the road. It's yeah. like hang. It's a. Um, it doesn't start until floor six, like above all load of shops. So we hadn't got any money in to scaffold that, and there were seventy six box sashes on it. And then inside the building, there were three massive light wells, like with all glazed bricks in. And there was another two hundred and fifty box sashes in there, and they cost one hundred and seventy grand to scaffold. Yeah, you couldn't oh, see any of that from the road. Yeah. So the estimator had driven past in second gear, driven around the outside and gone, yeah, bang, 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 took a load of pictures, done a window count, counted how many pipes there were and gone, yeah, the painting price is that and that's how much the scaffold is. And we lost an absolute fortune. So when I set up on my own, one of the first things I did was, right, right, I'm going to learn to fly a drone because I want to be able to mitigate that risk. I can't afford 
to, yeah. to have those kinds of things go wrong. So it's as much about actually get having that that asset of that those pictures yeah. to be able to price from. I mean, you can't. I mean, you can get close enough to actually look at the condition, um, but it's more about actually making sure we've got all of the information to be able to price the project accurately yeah. at tender stage. I'd seen somewhere on social media a couple of years ago now where someone had done a painted outside of a spot and had done a before and after with drone. I don't know whether they'd done it themselves or got somebody to do it because it done quite cinematic, you know, where it takes off and goes up and mm. it looked brilliant. I thought, that's a bloody brilliant advert, is that? Whoever's thought of that, mm. you know, I thought that could yeah, be a we've good got, thing to go into. Yeah, we've got two. We've got, we did two big jobs last year. Um, or no, we've got them for Rex Court as well, three in our first year in trading. Um, and we've got videos of each of them. So we've got a before after, before video, and then we've got, um, and they're not, you know, I mean, we did them ourselves. So they weren't, <laughs> they weren't professionally done. Um, Charlie, my son, did it on iMovie. And literally, we just stitched <laughs> loads of clips together. And actually, it looks all right. And people are like, yeah. wow, that looks really good. And yeah. at the end of the day, that's what you want it for. You want it to be able to sell your service to someone yeah. and say, this is what we can actually do for your home. Yeah. I think that'll be uh, Mike's next step. <laughs> Drone. <laughs> yeah, probably. He's, he's not a fan of doing too many externals, though, is he? Uh, I don't know. Is it, the thing is, when he does them, he does a bloody good job of them. He does do a very, very good job. Yeah. So what's your biggest struggle that you could improve on? What's my biggest? Wow, cool. Finding decent, reliable sub-trades, I think. Yeah. That's going to deliver to the quality that we want to sign up to provide him. Yeah, I was. I've I've just finished a job yesterday for a caravan park owner, and they have the same battle because they have a restaurant. I mean, obviously it's shut now; they're doing takeaways, but cleaners, everything. And she says it's all right, but she says you've got to find somebody that's willing to work for less money than you and put the same effort in as you. And she says they're hard to come by because they all want to mm. work for themselves. If they're like yeah. that, you know. Mm. That's that is a struggle. It's, get, it's getting people that I love tradesmen. I love British tradesmen to bits. I really do. But it's getting people to actually take pride in what they do, and yeah. that seems that seems to be really lacking. It's all about either getting as much smashed out as possible because they're on price, or getting home and being through their front door by four o'clock. Yeah, or to well, pub. <laughs> or to the or to the pub, yeah, where, yeah. wherever they want to go, yeah. Um, and you can't always do that, especially when it's like wet trades or when you're painting the outside, or you know, you yeah. need, you know, projects have got. I mean, all of our jobs have a program and a deadline, and if we don't meet that, there's liquidated damages that we have to pay for being late. So it is challenging, and getting people to understand that actually there is a certain amount you need to produce in a day, and yeah. it needs to be the right kind of quality. That is seems to be really really tough these days when I, I remember when we used to do site work and I had a few blokes work for me and on a friday afternoon we'd be the only ones there at four o'clock mm. and we'd be locking up at half four and they're like mass exodus at one o'clock everyone had gone and one of the blokes says why can't we do that i said you can if you want to come in tomorrow yeah <laughs> but like well i says well four if, if us four went and we went at dinner it's two days labor lost a week yeah. yeah, and they don't get it. You know, it's mm. only a few hours. Let's go. You know, we'll get paid for it. No, you've two mm. days lost this week. Two days productive work. Yeah, you know, but yeah, I get what you're saying with that. So, next one's pretty subjective. 
when did you realize you've made it if you have made it i'll let you know when i do <laughs> <laughs> um when did i realize i've made it um there's been some times in i've i've had a very good career i've i've worked for some big businesses i've worked for some good businesses that i've been re- remarkably well rewarded for um but equally I mean, literally, I mean, when the when the crash happened and um, literally we had to shut the group of companies, I actually went back on the tools and went back digging holes for two or three years fencing. Yeah. Um, and it was a really, really humbling thing to do. And I absolutely loved it because it reconnected me with some of the stuff that I actually found really yeah. passionate about stuff. Um I'm grateful. I don't actually, I mean, I got home tonight and I've been on the tools for a couple of weeks doing some roofs. And I Gemma said to me, you look knackered. And I said, I am. But I, I love what I do. I genuinely yeah. love yeah. my job. So I don't, and as much as I'm, I know when I finish recording this with you, I've got a price tender that's due in tomorrow and I've got to answer a load of emails because I've been out on site all day. But I don't see it as work. Yeah. I absolutely love it. And I think for me, that's that's the measure is actually loving what you do. And if, if yeah. you do love what you do, then every day really is a success. Well, it's it's you spend so much time they've got to enjoy it. But I think I I do as sad as it is. I love what I do, and I think that's why I'll never be able to step away from tools, mm. you know, and give them up. But it, it was in a book I read, and it says this bloke was on holiday two o'clock. Some it was one of the big books like Emith or Pumpkin Plan or, and he says he was in this uh, hotel lobby abroad somewhere. He's an American bloke. Two in the morning, he was sat there on his laptop. And he says, these two young lasses come in, you know, early 20s, pissed up, saying, basically, for want of a better term in their own language, but in, in mind, they said, look at that sad knacker doing his work. You know, we're, we're away on holiday, enjoying themselves. And he, he, he says his logic was, look at them two sad twats getting pissed because, you know, they want to get away from the job. You know, yeah. they, feel, they feel they need to get away from it. They're obviously not mm. in I suppose it depends which way you look at it. Yeah, I think every you know we're all individual human beings, and you know everybody's everybody's at a different point in life. So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily want to judge somebody else, but equally I wouldn't want to be judged. And I've had people say to me, I mean, my ex father in law used to say to me, "Why don't you give all this site management shit up? Yeah, go back on the tools. You was happy on the tools," he said, "and and you'd you'd be able to like spend more time with like." with your wife and your children. I'm like, hold on a minute. I've worked my nuts off to get these qualifications. Yeah. And I've got, I want to, I want to actually use them and I want to leverage them. And I actually want to make something of myself. And I think, you know, everybody's, everybody's different and everybody's got a different amount of drive and determination. And, you know, I've been, I've been that guy in the hotel lobby. Yeah. I've yeah. been the bloke whose wife booked a holiday. And I said, well, have you checked that like they've got like facts and have you checked that we've got email? Cause I'll need to be able to like send and receive stuff. And I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but equally I would never ever deny that I was that person either because it's who I am. Yeah. And we are all unique. I, I remember it when we were through the sites, bloody Blackberry were a godsend. Oh yeah. <laughs> they were awesome. They were brilliant phone. I hated when I first swapped to iPhone. Yeah, I did. They were playing up. They couldn't get them to switch between the uh, 3G and your Wi-Fi at home very well on the net. Yeah, that's right. But they were brilliant. When so you basically had your office at your fingertips. That was before all these new stuff now, like yeah, you know. But that was like a godsend. It used to go everywhere with me. 
It's uh, <laughs> so where, where do you see stone contracts in five, ten years? So now, where do I see <laughs> if you'd asked me my answer before lockdown was um, it isn't necessarily a financial metric. Um, where I would like to get to, I want to get to a position where we've got enough money that we can actually look to set up our own college yeah. um, to teach to teach some of the trades that are dying out. Yeah. So to teach people proper lead work apprenticeships, to teach people proper asphalt in apprenticeships, how to actually lay proper asphalt steps and stuff. Um, some of the more heritage stuff to actually teach people like proper carpentry apprenticeships, how to take apart a box frame window repair it and put it back together and build and put it back copper lead lights all of those old school things i'd like to actually be in a position where the contracting business could have sufficient operating profit to be able to run that and actually to offer to offer those courses so that we can actually offer them to the next generation of tradesmen because we've we've still got those buildings that have got those rich architectural features on and we need to keep them and a lot of them are actually listed so we have to keep them anyway we need to have the people with the right to skills it, to be yeah. able to do it. It's no good just having another generation of, if you can't cut it with a chop saw and fix it with a nail gun, it's not carpentry, because that actually doesn't serve the buildings that actually we've got in this country. So what's, so what's your take on why we've got a skills shortage? Why? I think because construction hasn't done itself any favour. If you talk about, I talk about construction as in the wider sort of property. Yeah property maintenance world and and including construction it doesn't do itself any favors it doesn't doesn't market itself at all it doesn't market itself at all glamorously people still have this preconceived idea that it's all like mud sweat and like three foot deep Knuckles in mud and shit site <laughs> conditions yeah exactly yeah um so it's never going to be seen as an attractive environment and then you've got that on one hand, and then on the other hand, the other big contributing factor, I believe, is the rise of tech. Yeah. Because tech now is is taught in schools. It's attractive. It's clean. It's big money. It it fits with the kind of kids that are coming through with the like the digital age and the millennium kids, where where it is taught in school. You know, and the rise in tech and the rise in social media, kids today want it all and they want it now. They're not yeah. prepared to wait. I mean, I, yeah. I had my first flat. I didn't have a stick of fucking furniture. Yeah. I had to save up for stuff. Now they all want to. They want to go to Argos and spend five grand and fit out their flat with all the latest gear. They don't want to wait for bit, stuff. Construction's a dirty job, in it. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think the pushed. I think it's schools as well for box ticking reasons are pushing them to academics. So they say, "Oh, look." 60% of our students have been to uni and this, or yeah, they, you know, this is how we've educated them well. They're not and interested in promoting where... the trades at all. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's about time they got behind it a bit. Because mm. so, if they don't, it's never ever going yeah. to, we won't have a building trade. I think, what was it, what was it last time, new two million uh, skills cap shortage mm. across yeah. all trades? That's a bloody yeah. big, bloody big gorge is that to fill. It's massive. I mean, some, don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of it is they're sort of they're moving stuff off site. They're working smarter. People are now like using tech to work differently. But at the end of the day, you still, you know, yes, okay. So you can paint a flat quicker because you can spray it instead of painting it with a roller. But you still got to have somebody to fix the board to the wall and plaster it for you to be able to paint it. Yeah. Okay, you can cut the skirting with a chop saw and you can fix it with some grit fill. But but you've still got to have somebody there to do that. Yeah. So 
if you, if you could go back to the young Richard or young Rich, Christmas Carol style, and give yourself some advice starting out, what would that be? Patience. <laughs> Patience is a virtue. <laughs> yes, massively. Patience, I think. Yeah. Patience and would be the one would be the one big thing. Um, and I think the the value of education. I love. Yeah. I mean, I love the saying that every day is a school day. But I, I genuinely love education now. Like, yeah. I can't stop learning stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot out there that are self-educating, mm. and the like. You know, like you've probably done. I do. You, you do your research. You look at your TDS sheets. You know, um, it, it, you self-educate and you want to learn yourself because. It's a combination. You want to do a better job. You want to give better value for money. You need to sell yourself to a customer. You see someone on Instagram, you think, yeah, I want to achieve that. I want to get that mm-hmm. finished. How, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. So you're self-educating constantly. Yeah. It's, um, can, we, can we delve into some of the stuff then without you giving too much away what you do within while we're on this subject? Because we talked pre-record and we both said the same, that we feel, yeah, you go to college, tech, whatever, and you learn a trade but they don't like learning how to run a business and this is guys like you come along and help because you guys do for what a better term you coach people how to run a business properly Mm -hmm. you know obviously there's people out there i know how to decorate Mm -hmm. i think i know how to run my business it works pretty well for me but you could probably pick holes in it you know but yeah, pick holes is yeah is a, is an interesting term. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had people say to me that you you just turn up and pick holes in it. It's not about I, what I want to do is to work, and what I do do is work with people to unpack how they work. Yeah. So so yes, it, and because I'm a tradesperson at heart, I always love to actually see what what it is you do and how you do it. But yeah. then, how do you go about doing it as well? Yeah. So. So what are your systems? What are your processes? Do you actually have any systems or do you actually have any processes? Where do you spend your time and where do you spend your time that's actually that's given you the most value and where are you spending time that's given you actually no value? Yeah. That it's costing you it's costing you quite dearly and actually look at all of those different things and work out ways of doing things not not always quicker um but working out how things can be done smarter how things can be done differently, simplifying processes, putting processes in place, yeah. looking at what people, are people missing a trick? Is there, so, is there something, are you providing a service? But if you were to provide, if you're providing service X, but if you were to say, well, how about Mr. Customer, we also do Y and Z, or we also do A, B and C, would those, would those additional services be of interest to you? Quite often, there's some really big, some ways that you can actually get some quite big wins out of that. So, what would you say if if you're going to say all all, all the businesses you you help, you go in the due diligence? Is is the one thing that's like a common denominator in most that why this you know they're not they're not efficient, not not struggling, but there's one thing that stops them being more efficient. One thing that stops them being more efficient is normally mindset. Yeah. If I'm really honest, um, there's an awful lot of I've always done it this way. Yeah. And and that's great. 
and I had a really interesting conversation with somebody about this actually one of my neighbours who's a, he's a contracts director for a dry lining company and we were talking about labour the other day and he was talking about a guy on site that he was chatting with and the guy was new on his site and he just he turned up and he he'd, he'd tacked a ceiling and the way he'd done it he wasn't happy with the way the boards had been set out and the bloke was like well I've always done it that way I've been doing this 25 years and Simon was like that doesn't mean it's right just because you've yeah. been doing Somebody it 25 years wrong 25 years ago exactly and you've just been <laughs> yeah. doing it that way ever since and and there's an awful lot of that within the trades and you know I think time moves on technology moves on methodology moves on standards move on and there's always ways that you can do stuff smarter yeah. so I think the first thing is actually getting people to to to, to recognize their mindset to, to to take off the blinkers and say First and foremost, I'm prepared to see that there is a possibility of another way. And once they're prepared to see that, then we can actually look at what that other uh, what that other view or what yeah. that other alternative might actually begin to look like. But the first step is always to actually get the person to take the blinkers off. I, I was just that was that was the next thing. Is the first step is is it like alcoholism? The first steps the artist getting them to admit that it ain't always the right way, and there can be better ways. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's especially if it's a stubborn shit, you know. And, yeah, you, and and we get. I mean, I've I've had a couple of people that I've actually said to them that, um, and not for a while actually, but I had one um, earlier this year. I actually returned their money and said, "Look, thanks, but this isn't going to yeah. work." Um, yeah. and it it wasn't even anything to do. It was the my action arose as a result of something the person said about a relationship they had with somebody else. Yeah. In a person, in a personal capacity, but it demonstrated that their behaviour—they were so stubborn that that must be such a really, really, really drilled down character trait that they would only ever be able to behave in that manner. And if that's the way they're going to behave, yeah. they're not going to be able to be able to actually sort of embrace actually looking at maybe implementing some change. So I just said to the guy, "Look, thanks, but I'm out. This isn't going to work for me. I don't think." See, I'm I'm pretty stubborn. But when it comes to work, if someone could, I've always said, if someone could show me a quicker, faster, or easier way, I'll give it a go. If it works, it works. It don't, it don't. Exactly. Yeah, but it's, other than that, I'm pretty stubborn. But it's, um, it's. I mean, I mean, when I say to give them the money back, you you could have done it, but you you find a lot of the personal traits come into the work, and that's what the problem is. Because my my brother and my dad, they both work for the same firm. My brother were a diesel fitter. My dad were. Uh, depot manager so my dad were white collar in charge of everybody my brother on the shop floor mm. and they were banned from talking work at dinner table because it used to cause arguments and and then I, I just always remember then my dad turned around saying right don't take home problems to work and don't bring work problems home leave mm. leave them at the door either end do you think yeah. that's what a lot is it one you know the personal life like say because he's like that in his personal life it overflows into work yeah, massively. I think I think it does, and I've. I think any if you can if you can work that way, yeah. that's brilliant. I mean, I'll never forget when I when I very 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 first worked at Langs when I was sixteen. There was a guy that I worked with, um, and we used to go to the pub at lunchtime. We used to go to the pub after work, and this guy after work would go in the pub. He would buy twenty Benson out of the, out of the fag machine. He would drink all night, and however many fags he'd got left, he would leave them on the bar for someone to find because yeah. he didn't smoke at work and he was a different person at work. Yeah. And I always thought, do you know what? I don't know how you can do that. I really don't. Um, 
I think where wherever if you're in a positive place at home, you're going to be in a positive place at work. If you're in a, a negative place at home, that negativity, you know, it it affects your mind and it affects your mindset so yeah. massively that you cannot put you can't possibly switch that off completely. Yeah. It's got to carry over into work. And and I've got this sort of phrase. I can't remember where I heard it from. It was, I heard it a while ago. It's not mine, but it's someone that, that is very, very valid. And that is that skill set without mindset equals upset. Because yeah. you can be the best decorator or the best sprayer or the best paper hanger. But if you're in a really, really shit mood because yeah. – you got out of bed the wrong side or you tripped over the dog or you had got up for three wees in the night instead of two or God, I'm showing my age now. Uh, or, <laughs> I got to that yet. <laughs> or, or what? one of them things that, that sort of can sort of piss you off or tip your mood yeah. and you turn up on site and, you know, you got to fill up a cup with some paint, you know, or you got to size the wall or whatever you're going to do and it goes wrong and you're already in a bit of a shit mood. Yeah. You're already snowballing away to it. It does massively, yeah. and it it takes it takes a, a lot of work and a strong-minded person to actually sort of say, "Hold on a minute, that's one thought. I'm going to let that go, separate it, and I'm not going to let it affect my day." Yeah. And you know, I mean, I I wasn't able to do that for a lot of years, and you know, I have days I have days now where I mean, that job that I referred to earlier, where we had those big paint, it was 100% broad work, um, and we had the painted stacks. I stood on the roof of the building on the scaffold. It was costing me about 600 quid a week and extra hire. And I've cried my eyes out. Yeah. Because I was like, we tried four different specs. We tried stripping these stacks in three different ways. And it, it was really hurting me financially. And it was hurting my pride because we couldn't get the job finished. Yeah. And I cried my eyes out. I cried like a fucking baby for about <laughs> 20 minutes. And then I got hold of myself and was like, what is the matter with you? But so we need to sort this out. And we yeah. sort of put, put together a plan and we got it sorted out. I'm, I'm, laugh, I'm laughing because I've been there somewhat similar. And it's it's somewhat back to what I was talking about pre-record. It's I had trouble separating one from the other, uh, and and it caused issues. It, you know, it caused a breakdown for me, uh, and it brings me back to that thing again. Talking about pre-record, the mental thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't talk about it with men, and I think yeah. for me personally, when you're in that mindset and you're at work and it's a solemn job and you work on your own, it's hard to motivate yourself. You know, and I think that's when your troubles can snowball if you can't switch off from it. Yeah, they can, because it, it, and it, it is if you do work on it. It's one of the reasons that I like mentoring groups and mastermind groups, because it does give you those people to bounce off of. And when you do yeah. work on your own, I mean, a lot of decorators work on their own. I mean, I'm, I'm on my own quite a lot, as much as we've got a team. Uh, a lot of them, most of them work remotely. The guys are out on site. So I'm quite often in the office on my own. Yeah. I feel like. 16, 18 hours a day. I mean, I'm an early bird. I'm up at half three every day. If I'm not outside, I'm in the office estimating and stuff. You know, it is quite a lonely place. And if you're not in a in a really, really positive mindset, it can yeah. it can deteriorate really quickly. I mean, I've I've had mental health struggles. I mean, I I did I do. It's a subject that I'm really passionate about. I do a lot of talking about it. Um, I've done a lot of social media content about it. I publicly just did a post about the fact that I was going to see a counsellor and. Um, I've talked about that. I've been interviewed on countless podcasts about it. I've interviewed people about mental health stuff. Um, and the reason, because the more we talk about it and the more we normalise it, the better, the easier it's going to be for people yeah. to actually be able to talk about it. And I was talking to someone about six weeks ago, actually, um, a friend of mine that I met through social media, um, 
on LinkedIn and we were having a quite a frank conversation and he's a director of a business that he doesn't own, but he he's employed. He hasn't got any equity in it. Um, and he said to me, he said, it's really interesting. He said, and I love your content. He said, because you're so bloody outspoken. You'll talk about anything. He said, I mean, yeah. how many builders would talk to women about periods on a podcast? Yeah. He went, I'll just take my hat off to you. He said, but let me ask you this. He said, if you were still working at Kenyans as a director, or as, a, as an ops manager, would you or could you talk about all the stuff you do? And it stopped me dead in my tracks because I'd never, ever thought about that. Yeah. And actually, there's a lot. It's a, it was a really, really good question. And I've since messaged him back and said thank you because it made me think about stuff differently. And actually, I think when you do work for yourself, you are quite in quite a way, you are quite blessed. Because yeah. you don't necessarily have people to answer to. And I think for me, part of part of one of the things that I've sort of worked out during lockdown is that actually I now see it as kind of a little bit of my kind of like what I'm on this earth for. Yeah. To talk about stuff that other people can't or won't talk about, but needs talking about. Yeah. So the whole mental health thing, the more people talk about that, the better. And the more people share stories about what their own experiences are, where they've been, where they've come from. And the more we normalise it, the easier it will make it for other people who find it even harder to be able to go yeah. out and get... And, they, you know, I'm not suggesting everybody needs to talk about it openly and publicly. Far from it. I mean, the post I did about going to see a shrink for the first time, over 20 Ooh, people... Oh, we can't call them shrink. Them. They don't like shrink. They don't, they, don't even, they don't even like psychologists anymore. Last, I last time, I'll, I'll put it out there. Last time I went to see one... <laughs> It was psychotherapist. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't like being called psychiatrist anymore. Psychotherapist no, now. It's the new term. <laughs> but yeah, it's, but I'm, 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 with, I'm with you there. I think any subject should be approachable. And it goes a lot, across a lot of things. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. It's how you, you approach it. it. Yeah. If, if you're polite about yeah. it, you know, and you're not nasty and judgmental, mm. you should be able to talk about it. Oh, you know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, there's some stuff I don't want to talk about. You know, yeah, I don't want to know your, your sex life, your bedroom antics, but yeah. why should there be taboo subjects? And one of my main bugbears is, I don't know if it's all trades, but I find the most people I speak to, I've, I mean, it's a solemn job. I spent two hours on phone to a good friend of mine yesterday because he was working on his own, I was working on his own. He rung me up and he called me a power range for some reason. What are you doing? And we are on phone two hours, five minutes. You know, we'll chat in solemn job, but one of the big things that I find in our trade, and I'm assuming it goes across a lot, is there's such a massive stigma about talking about money. Mm. It's not, not in the way because you get all the Billy Big Bollocks, oh, I've earned this this year, I've earned that. It's when it comes to talking with your customer. Mm. When, when you're looking at a job and they're saying how much, just turn around and say, it flat out, it's 150 a day. Don't be like, um, 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 it's this. But there's such a massive stigma about it. You've done a job, they're paying for your skill, this is how much I want for it. Yeah, exactly. You know, but it's back to the mental health thing. That's a massive thing that's close to my heart, is that. Um, hopefully, by the time this is out, I've got something in place, because we, we talk again, pre-record, about something that's in pipeline. But um, I think it is a massive thing, and people should talk about it. Because there's like you, you know, I know there's more people suffering with it than you know. I, I know 
good three, four friends of mine at the moment that are suffering. That mm. to look at them, you won't think they're out wrong. Yeah, you, don't, you know, but it's, it's, outwardly there's no there's no outward yeah. signs. It's yeah, it's like that uh, smoky song. I forgot what it's, uh, it's not smoky. Uh, I know Go West did a cover of it. Uh, or the clown at party. Oh Go yeah. Go. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot yeah. the song. Yeah, that, the clown. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's like that. You put the clown face on. You go out, you know, and then you mm. come home and you're just breaking inside. Yeah, you know, there's a lot like it, you know. And I just mm. like to try and get some help out there for people, you know, and get them sorted. Yeah, and so, for the most, the overwhelming majority of people, they just need to be able to have somebody to talk to to, to yeah. verbalise what it is that they're struggling with. Yeah, it's, it's just to untangle that mass of wires in your head. Yeah, of course it is. Breaking it out. You know, and yeah. make sense of it. You know, because you can't. When shit's going on in your head, you can't always make sense of it. You need to bounce an idea or so on. And sometimes yeah. it's the stupidest, slightest little thing. And you think that was so fucking obvious, but you just can't process it in your head because you've got other yeah. shit going on. Yeah, you've got it's shit at home going on. You know, you've got shit at work going on, and you just can't process stuff. So, <laughs> getting off the mental stuff. I, I know you'll be a tech person. I can tell. You know, I've I've I've, I've seen you, seen your post. Not much about tech, but you can just sort of tell people that are techie mm. people. You you love your tech, don't you? I do. Yeah. What What's the one thing you couldn't live without? My drone. Yeah, your drone. Yeah. What, what model is it for drone lovers? I ain't got a clue. All, uh, the, all I know is Mavics. We've got a couple. We've got a Mavic Pro, Hasselblad, and then we've got a Mavic Mini as well. Yeah. Yeah, because you can spend uh, some serious money on them, can't you? Yeah, I mean, the, we bought the the Mavic Pro. We paid about fifteen hundred quid for, <sighs> I think, and then we spent. Um, we've now, I think, we've now got like six or seven batteries for it, um, and then the other one, I can't remember. I think that was about five hundred. The little Mavic Mini. I take it they come with a camera built on them. You don't have to put. I, I suck, so I think. Do you have mm. to stick like a GoPro on it, or does it come with a camera on it? No, so they've got a the camera built into it. So the, yeah. the Mavic Pro um, has got a 4K Hasselblad lens on it. So it's like the the picture quality is out of this world. They're like 20 megapixel pictures, and it's 4K yeah. video. It's like absolutely the quality of it's staggering. <laughs> um, and then the Mini, the quality of that is not quite as good, but it's still like it's way enough. beyond 1080p. Oh yeah, God, yeah. yes. Yeah, and can, yeah. You zoom in, a, can you zoom in with them then? No, not the ones we've got. No, they do do a set. They're fixed lenses. They yeah. do do a <clears throat> they do do a Mavic Pro um, zoom that's got a zoom lens on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like like one step too far. I think that's probably the thing we would probably go for next. I think. So do you have to have a license for them then? Yes, so there's two different levels. So if you're going to use the pictures commercially, um, you have to have like a full PIFCO license. Um, and one of our guys has got a full PIFCO. One's in training. I'm halfway through doing my PIFCO. Um, but yeah, you do need to be you do need to be licensed, and you need to be insured as well. Yeah, I just meant for going that like up into if you go up high enough, or you into sort of aerospace space, if you know what I mean. So they're limited. So you can yeah. go to 400 foot. Yeah. Right, so yeah, there's there's a whole world of like red tape and regulations. Yeah, because I've heard no that before. Zone. There's somebody near me that was doing it local. They they was doing it for national trust and stuff like that. Mm. You know, and I know you have to have a certain license because you're going into aerospace. And uh, yeah, there's there's no fly zones that are um, around areas. I mean, one of the challenges we have is a lot of the jobs we do in London um, are within about three and a half miles of Regent's Park. 
Yeah. And it's actually, it's harder. We, we tendered a job that was uh, two miles from Luton Airport last year, and we could film that by drone, but we couldn't film a building. It was three miles away from Regent's Park. Yeah. It's like, why? <laughs> you know, when it, I mean, it's right opposite Marley Bone Station. There was like no issues with it. And it was like, no, you can't film that. Uh, the I other was... problem that you get with it is that you can apply for an exemption or you can apply for a license to fly it, but it takes 28 days for the license to come through. Yeah. Well, on, on tenders, we only get 21 to 25 days to price the job. So by the time you've got the footage, it's too late. You've got, you've yeah. got no opportunity to do anything with it. So, Oh, cool. So what's any book you can recommend if you get time? <laughs> any book? I, I've read 50 books, 54 books I'm up to this year. Um, well, so that's so basically far. like one, no, more than one a week, isn't it? Yeah. Where, where yeah, the, one or two Where the fuck do you find the time, pardon my friends? So I, so there's a few different things I do. So I either read like a hard copy book or I will read it on Kindle. Um, yeah. so literally if I like if I go to the loo I'll read like five six pages of my book um, if I wake up in the middle of the night I'll read if I can't sleep um, I listen to a lot of books on audio um, at like one and a half speed because it's quicker yeah. um, I would say the book I'm gonna step away to look I can't remember what it's, who it's by so I would say the 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 most game changing one would probably be for me a book called They Ask You Answer, yeah, which is about marketing, yeah, uh, and it's it's a really 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 good book. Yeah. Then any others you can recommend? Oh, there are tons. Stillness is the key by Ryan Holiday. That's really really powerful about meditation and about actually being in the right headspace. Um, Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit, um, Shoe Dog, Phil Knight, The Nike Story. That's a really, really good book. Yeah. Um, Brene Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection. She is just like absolutely game changing. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll put you on spot. I've, uh, as, as a small business owner on my own, uh, I've got like yeah, Profit First, E Myth, yep. Pumpkin Plan. E Myth's a good book. Yeah. Pumpkin plan. Yeah, I got, I got, good. I got an email Sunday. I've got three credits on my Audible. Okay. What, 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 for me, what would be your three next books for me? All uh, right. What would be three next books? Okay. Uh, Rework by Jason Freed. That's really good. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling. There's a few I fancied. Uh, but when I've read them, they've had a 50-50 reviews. I just think, uh, okay. What yeah. what ones are they? Uh, Sarah Knight, the fuck it thing. Where you, in in you you do you, all those. Okay. And then there was the the famous. I can't get it up because I'm obviously I'm on thing. There's another one that's uh, the fuck it thing, where it's basically you just don't get shit what others think in the nicest way and just do your own thing. Oh, do what you love, John. John Markin. Yeah, I bought I that. Think that was I, yeah, I've not read it. I've got it on my bookshelf to read. I yeah, read a lot of them said after the first two chapters, these books are just repetitive. Yeah, that, that is. same thing, different scenario. And I thought, yeah, I've read, I've read one like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean that that they ask you answer. That is a really really good book. Yeah, I'll have a look at that and rework. I'll look at them too for that because I've got three to waste anyway. But I just didn't want to waste them on shit. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good book, that is. So, what's the best advice you can give for selling yourself? If, if, you, could put, if you could put a billboard up in Piccadilly, if they're yeah. still there from when I was in London, on corner, a big billboard up, give me some advice, what would it be? I think... I think the two things really for me are authenticity and relatability. Yeah. So you need to be, you need to, you really need to know who you are. Yeah. And be comfortable with who you are, because unless you are comfortable with you, with who you are, you'll never be able to market who you are. Yeah. Makes sense. Because you'll, you'll always be, you'll always be trying to market something that you're not entirely happy with. And, we're all our own salesperson, whether that's because we want to try and get a girl on a date or whether that's because we want the person at whose house we're in their living room and we're pricing their HSL and we want them to say, yeah, crack on with it because we need the job for next week. There's always an element of you trying to sell something. Yeah. And you're unless a you're really, <laughs> yeah, to a degree, you're prostituting yourself out. <laughs> yeah. And unless you're comfortable in your own skin, then you're never really going to be able to effectively put that across. Yeah. And if you can't do that, you're, you're ne- you can never hope to even start yeah. to build any kind of trust. And if you can't build any kind of trust, you'll never get any rapport with that person. And if you can't get rapport, you'll never close the deal. Yeah, you, you've got, I always say, you've got to be approachable, you yeah. know, because especially in our trade, because you get single women, and I, I always say it all the time, you get to go in rooms in people's houses that even their own family haven't been in, you know, bedrooms, mm. private rooms and stuff, and they want yeah, to feel exactly. comfortable you being in there. Yeah. But do you think they're, they're comfortable with yourself in your own skin? Do you think that gets better with age? I think it, it, I think it does get better with age. I think it also gets better with, with experience at what you're doing. So, yeah. You know, everybody's on a different different journey and different path. And you know, when you've been doing a trade sort of two or three years out of college, you know you know what you're doing, but you haven't got the the depth and breadth of experience that when you get a wall and you and it's still grinning after three coats, and you're like, what? what how am I going to get this to cover? Or yeah. you know, you go into someone and they've just bought a flat, and the person in there used to flat out chain smoke sixty growlers a day. Yeah. How am I going to cover this nicotine stain up and still get out of here and not lose a day's money? You know, you haven't got that depth and breadth of experience to be able to to rely on that. So I think everybody everybody's at their own point, but you need to be comfortable with where you're at and be prepared yeah. to talk to other people and ask other people for help. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant advice. So where, so where do you see the construction trade heading in general? Where do I see it heading? I think there is there's lots of lots of moves for more systemized, more lean manufacturing. Um, the bigger the bigger builders, the you like your Balfour Beatty, Langs, they've got massive government investment for sort of smart manufacturing. They're trying to build stuff off site. Um, that's where I think the new build market is moving to. The simplification of stuff, like the, I mean, there's now block systems that are out there that you know that you can lay with like an hour's course that you don't need to be able to be at a time served bricklayer i think the new build world is definitely moving down that road of it's it needs to be done quicker better quality more efficiently and the more that you can take that off site and put that into a factory where you've got better control of of weather 
and of yeah. conditions and of quality that's going to lend See, itself to that massively. That's a massive, massive industry around us. It has been for years, port cabins, whether mm. it's Elliot's, Caledonian, you know, they're all up here, port cabin themselves, uh, but they're basically built in a factory out on site, brick slips put on, off you go. And yeah, I don't know if you've come, come across them down there because a, a mate of mine did some fairly, it's uh, the, basically the affordable port cabin houses. Yep. Yeah, four, four, yeah. four, four units together, dry line yeah. staircase off your pole. Yeah. You know I mean? And you can't tell. You know, no, you from, can't. When you look at them, you think, that's never a port cabin. Mm. You know, they've come a long way from, I mean, when I, when I first moved out here 15, 16 years ago, there were tin sheds on the bloody old aerodrome. Yeah. And they're, yeah. they're either tin, we used to say tin of texture, the boss would go mad, it's plastic all. It's fucking mm. tin. You know, mm. <laughs> tin of texture next, we've got a 28 bay next, because each one were bay. 28 bay, what are they, Tony? Tin of textured. The fucking plaster salt and the, what I forgot whatever it was called now. I've still got some of buckets, SD coatings in garage, empty buckets, because they're Andy buckets. But that's all it were. But now, I did so, I think the last lot I did was six years ago, and it was a hospital wing in Lincolnshire. Mm. And they, they put them up on stilts, brick slips on the outside. You couldn't even bloody tell. You can't. Yeah. Makes such a and and a lot, right a now. lot of the, a lot of the big, a lot of the buildings in London. I mean, I was walking past the job about four weeks ago. I was going to look at another job, and they were literally craning in these concrete panels, and the brickwork was slips stuck on the outside. And yet now, when you walk, when you, I mean, I, I drove past it yesterday, and if now that whole facade is finished, if yeah. you if you looked at that from the ground, you would swear that that was hundred percent brick facework. Yeah. And obviously and it's, it's knocked not, up quicker in it as well. Yeah, it was massively, but it's not only that, but it's a better quality. Well, that, that's what the, um, if I remember right, that's what a lot of McDonald's and, are based on. Hey, but that's where they started it. Yeah, because we I'll used to do... I'll never forget um, seeing the first McDonald's get built in four I, I, weeks. I was like, what? Yeah, we used to do, uh, in Yard, we used to do white and blue, a lot of Tesco Express. Mm-hmm. They were getting knocked up. A lot of them were yeah. based on it as well. Yeah. But they, they were poor cabins. You'd see them all going out at Yard, one unit on back of each truck. Mm. Convoy trucks going out with him to deliver them all. So, what's been your best investment work wise? My best investment, um, yeah. accreditations. Yeah. Yeah, without doubt. Is, is that for the pre pre tender stuff? To get on tender list, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. without, without having those accreditations, um, we wouldn't get we wouldn't be invited to tender for some of the stuff we are. Um, so I would have to say that accreditations would be my best investment. Um, Tech-wise would be undoubtedly my drone. Yeah. I, I suppose the uh, accreditations, I suppose it's like accreditation score. <laughs> yeah. The more you get, the better score you're getting, aren't you? Yeah, it's about to, it's, and from a, from a, from a, from a purchaser point of view, it's about them buying peace of mind that actually they understand that actually you've been through some form of pre-qualification and yeah. they've got some comfort that actually you know what you're doing. Yeah, and you're part of an association or trade body yeah, exactly. or whatever, you know, that's got yeah. some sort of regulatory conduct. Yeah, very much so. Behave. Yeah, far so, more so than just a PDA. So what's, what's Richard Stone's endgame? What is my end game? My end game is that I want to get the business to the situation where we can hand it over to a contracts manager so that they can have have it to run effectively. Um, 
because I want to be in a situation. I want to set up, we're going to set up another business next year um, to do some small building developments. So we're going to buy plots and build them out. Um, but essentially where I want to be is I want to be within five years spending 80% of my time doing um, mentoring and coaching and charity work and only 20% of my time in yeah. actual contracting businesses. Yeah. Because that's where I actually get, like, don't get me wrong, the businesses give me like the financial stuff that we need to obviously sort of pay for our family and stuff. But my real soul food comes from like helping other people. Yeah. And that's where I actually, that's what I actually enjoy putting my time into. So on that note, as anybody that's um, that's listening to this podcast, are they are they are you available for them to contact you if need be if they, if they yeah, need any free. form of coaching? Yeah, yeah, feel free. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll put the uh, you, you know, obviously we're not going to stick your mobile number in, but your contact point, social media. Yeah, if I'm... yeah, you, you you're on all the usual platforms, aren't you? Certainly, I'm LinkedIn, LinkedIn Instagram. Instagram. I don't really do Twitter because. If I'm going to rant, I can't. I can't normally rant at only 140 characters. I normally go on for about five minutes. I've I've had a proper rant at uh, Mountain Warehouse today. That's <laughs> all I use Twitter for. <laughs> Name and shame. <laughs> I only ever go on. The only I've got a Twitter account, and I only ever use it when one of the children's on a school holiday. Yeah, to find out what they're up to. <laughs> so don't you look on TikTok? <laughs> Do you know what? Actually, I'm in a brand of marketing mastermind in Peterborough, and uh, the guy who runs it is really, really big in property. And the the last live session that we did in the classroom before lockdown happened, lockdown one happened in January. Um, he sort of he talked about TikTok, and I was like, oh, all right, I'll, I'll have a look. So I set up an account, and I got home, and I was sort of going through it with Ruby. And she was like, this is just girls dancing. What's, this isn't business. Why do you want to be on next, here? Next big thing. And I was like, okay. So I never did anything with it. And I was talking to to a guy who's got a timber frame contracting business who um, was a subby five years ago on a project that I was running. Um, he's had over 1.5 million hits on a video that he did spraying his Audi with passive fire protection paint. It's, it's, it's look at draw. Viral videos look at draw. I listened to a podcast the other day. And they run about it. It says there's uh, a local, uh, a lad local to me that does media marketing. And it says him and his wife got dressed up, put full makeup as Joker and Harley Quinn, uh, or fiance she is, sorry. Uh, they put it on TikTok. They got something like 200 views. He said, I did one with my nine year old nephew. It says four hours later, 10,000 views. But my daughter's well into it. And I thought I knew. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the nicest way, I look at her TikTok and I think, this isn't the shy girl I know. It's like mm. a different persona on there. But if you get it right, I think one of the biggest viral videos this year, uh, I mentioned Scott Barnett the other day, was um, they were saying, it rings a bell for me, but it was some bloke, some young kid going down road on a skateboard to a Fleetwood Mac song, drink, drinking Ocean Spray Cranberry Juice. And it got the most, it's that song went back in every chart Wow. An ocean spray ad, best advert they've ever had. Blimey. And it, it weren't, weren't even paid for. It was just this cool video. I think mm. one of them longboard skateboards where he's going that road on it, you know, looking pretty cool, videoing himself, selfie stick video thing. Off you mm. go. And it's all it needs, isn't it? Right person, right place, right time. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. It's just that magic source, isn't it? I mean, that's why some of us use social media people because they're the people that have got the creative stuff and, so, some of it's a bottomless pit, though, isn't it? Same as SEO. Oh, some of it. Yeah, yeah. it's like a, yeah. You know, it's, you you're giving them money and you're not getting anywhere. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can burn some serious amounts of money doing that yeah. sort of stuff if you're not careful. 
So is there, is there any takeaways you can give the listener? I think I think the, the thing that I would the biggest takeaway that I would say is that the mindset is as important as the skill set is the biggest one. And the other one I would say is that just if concentrate on being the best you can be in whatever specialism you want to be, whether you're a decorator, whether you're solely concentrating on spraying, whether you're solely concentrating on paper hanging, whatever your specialism you want to be. And the the best bit of advice I was ever given was it doesn't matter what you do, but be the best version of what you can be and then work out what the other things are you need and then go and find a person who does that and that they're as passionate about that as you are about what you do. So find somebody that's passionate about doing accountancy and have that person as your accountant. Find someone that's good at marketing and get that person to do marketing because that's playing people to their strengths and actually getting people doing something that they enjoy doing and they'll do it really well for you. If you're sitting there trying to do your VAT like I was last year at two in the morning, when that ain't, I, I'm pretty good on a computer and I'm pretty good on Excel. I spend a lot of time on it. You, you sent me some tips on Excel when I put it on a podcast. Mm. I think that's where you first contacted me. It probably was actually, yeah. 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 Um, but it's not my strong point doing that. So I've got an accountant and we've completely automated all of our finances because it's easier. So the, the, the takeaway really is do what you're doing really well, but get other people to do the other bits for that's, you. That's that's basically like the emit, isn't it? Delegating what you, what you know you're not good at, and you know whether you're the technician or the one or the other two. Yeah. yeah, but spend your time doing what you enjoy doing, and then that way you'll have a far more rewarding experience. And the more you're in that headspace and that that environment, you will be more profitable because you're doing yeah. what you want to be doing. Yeah. So. Coming to end, we get to fun ones now. Room one hundred and one. I know you'll remember this because I know you. I, I can tell you roughly my age. I know what room one hundred and one is. I do indeed. It's one of the questions I ask my guests on um, on my podcast. I think I, yeah, because I've listened to a couple of ours. I thought cheeky buggeries asked them that, and then I listened to somebody else's podcast and they asked a the question. I thought I, don't, I know they're listening to mine. You know, but I, I, yeah, I remember that. Come up on one of yours. I used to love that, Paul Merton. Yeah, Paul Merton, it was Stephen Fry with other regular, weren't he? That's right, yeah. And, uh, I, I, I used to be a big fan of his, but he disappeared a bit. Frank Skinner. Yes. Frank Skinner, he was quite Frank a funny Skinner, bloke. Well. Yeah. He was a funny bloke, yeah, very funny. Yeah, very So, very Room funny. 101, what would I put in Room 101? What would I put in Room 101? I would put in Room 101 people that think it's okay to run other people down without thinking about what they're saying and the impact it has on that other person's mental health. Yeah. That another thing I heard on a podcast the other day, <laughs> on the same podcast, this local. Was it? Yeah. Basically, it was this woman. She does the uh, LinkedIn coaching things. Okay. And, and she got slated on social media. And she said she was sat on holiday and nearly enough had a breakdown on holiday. And then she had a moment where she thought, why the fuck am I letting these people bother me? Mm. You know, but she says, what they don't think is when they're bitching about it, how, how the effect it's having on somebody that's already got mm. a negative, like we said earlier, they're eye on outside, the shit on inside. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we all slate people. And I, I just think now, if I've got no nice, I don't say it. I might say exactly. it behind closed doors, but I just, mm. you know, they said, 
what sort of person are you if you can find the time to go on somebody's thing and type up and post something negative? It obviously exactly. says a lot about you. It says more about the mindset of the person typing the comment yeah. than it does Sad. about the person. Sad fuck. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Go on then, two more. Two more. What, what else would I put in there? Child, people that don't look after their children. Yeah. So not necessarily child abuse, but child neglect. Yeah. Um, would be one. Would be the one, and then the neglect of animals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let, let's face it. With shops like Primark, there's no reason for scruffy fucking kids, is there? No. One one eighty a t-shirt. Mm. <laughs> it's priorities, yep. isn't it? Mm, exactly. Parents with poor priorities. Yep. So, where can we find you online and social media? I think you've already said this, but we'll just. Where can you find me? I'm prime. I'm always on LinkedIn, um, and I'm pretty regular on um, Insta. I've got my personal page. I've got a business page, and I've got a coaching page. So, what's um, what are your hobbies if you have time for any besides drone? (laughs) <laughs> what are my hobbies um my i like helping my wife with her upholstery um yeah. so i was fixing the like fixing the frames that she gets to work on um build it doing bits of like basic carpentry um i have a real hankering to do some more wood turning when i get time um and at some point i want to set up a forge in my garage because i actually did a day's blacksmithing a couple of years ago as a gift for my birthday and I absolutely loved it. So yeah. that's something I would like to do. Um I've recently started going to the driving range again with my brother. Um I quite enjoy that. I'm absolutely shockingly bad at golf. Um <laughs> but I but I quite enjoy it and it's a good way to switch off from work. I'm gonna say I suppose it's a good way to whack your anger out and all. Yeah just, exactly. Just yeah. pretend it's person's head that's pissed you off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so finally Oh, you digging on Insta at the moment? Oh, do you know what? There's some really, really, really good people putting some really good content <laughs> out there at the moment. And and do you know what? The one thing that I love is the amount of people that are willing to share their knowledge and help other people. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I see, I see, I see your posts regularly. I see Rushmore, the amount of stuff he puts on there about like his spraying and stuff, um, brain fears. The repairs that that guy does with repair care are just out of this world. The time that that bloke takes, I mean, I find it absolutely fascinating watching that sort of stuff. Um, I'm a big, I'm a massive, massive Makita fan. So I love seeing all their posts. It just just frustrates the life out of me that we can't get after stuff in the UK that they've got in America. Yeah, Um, there's some pretty nifty DeWalt stuff in America that you can't get here at all. And the price disparity between the two as well is the thing. Yeah, but shipping and Euro and Brexit. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Usual shit. (laughs) Yeah, all the normal shit that goes with it. Um, There's a couple of property developers that I follow. and I do, and do you know what? A couple of tools up in Scotland. I follow Gus religiously. His work is just out of this world. Yeah, I find like the quality of the quality of what he puts out there. I just find it really inspiring to see. Yeah, cool, brilliant. So, any, anybody that's doing really good quality work that, um, and I'll tell you for it. Yeah, is there's a guy who's he's not a tradesman. He's a sparky on the railway, um, new build DIY. And he is an absolutely lovely top drawer fella from Sheffield. Robbie, yeah. his name is. I will be Sheffield, my part of country. Yeah, do you know what? 
He's such a lovely, <laughs> and he's always engaging. He's always helping people out. I mean, he gets absolutely battered with questions, and he's always helpful to people. Yeah. And tries to signpost them to like the right product or the right information. Yeah. And I just, you know, I just think, do you know what? For the most part, it's a really, really good community. Yeah. I know there's been some issues. I mean, I was talking to somebody that that I won't name, um, but me and you both know him, and we talked about him earlier on. Um, yeah. So I think you'll know who I mean. Yeah. Um, and he's had some really, really horrific crap yeah. um, on social media, and I think that is disgusting, and there's no place for it. Um, what annoys me, some of it's been from people I know mm. that I thought were decent people. That's that's it's, what pissed me off. Yeah, it's just I just think it's really sad. Yeah, it's, you know the guy's just the guy's just trying to do, do his best and actually make a living, and he's doing a really really bloody good job of it. I, I think um, that's what the problem is. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of it boils down to is smashing it, and people don't like yeah. it. Yeah, it's jealousy. You know, it's, it's I mean, yeah, he is overpassionate at times. But good luck to him, you know. Yeah. But I, th- I think pe- it's because of that, it shows and he gets the work and he earns a good money. And people yeah. don't like it, don't like you being mm. successful. No, they don't. Yeah. No. It's, uh, it's back to that negativity again, isn't it? Exactly. So, but cool, brilliant. It's been, uh, it's been great to get you on and it's been great yeah. to have somebody on that's, uh, that are classes in my mindset. <laughs> Thank you. It's a brilliant. Feel privileged. Yeah, well, it should be. <laughs> oh, well, he's taking piss. Cool. <laughs> Anybody that knows me off, off this knows I do take piss. I'm a sarcastic sod. It's all right. I'm not always so, serious. <laughs> so am I. Mate, life's too short. Yeah, I can't, I can't do serious. <laughs> not, not, not unless it's uh, something really serious, which doesn't make sense. But yeah, it's not often I'm serious. You know, I, I might sound serious on these, but I ain't. <laughs> well, cheers that. anyway Rich Brilliant. that's alright good to Thanks. talk to you cheers. cheers I hope you're enjoying these podcasts as we delve into people's lives and stories whether it be the ups downs wins and losers we've all been there in some shape or form and we aren't alone I'd really appreciate it if you're enjoying these if you could show your support by subscribing sharing and maybe even leaving us a cheeky review on iTunes Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.